0: morning, church. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Well, we want to welcome you uh, to uh, Stone Point Church in uh, both of our locations here in Wills Point and also those uh, joining us in Edgewood, Texas. Uh, we are grateful for uh, the Lord's work there and... Uh, Continue to, to see what the Lord's doing in Edgewood and here uh, in Will's Point. Uh, today, we are continuing a series called Church Reimagined. And uh, I want to share a story with you that I read probably 15 years ago. I used it in a message uh, probably that long ago as well. And just want to read it to you here because I think it sums up where the church is by and large today. And uh, it's just a parable, uh, a story about a lighthouse, uh, a little life saving station on the shore. Uh, on a dangerous seacoast, uh, there were shipwrecks that often occurred, uh, and there was once a crude little life saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one little boat, but a few devoted members kept a cost- constant watch over the sea. And with little or no thought for themselves, they continually went out day and night, tirelessly searching. For the lost, many lives were saved uh, by this wonderful little station. Uh, it was so effective uh, that it became famous. Uh, some of those uh, who were were saved, and various others in the surrounding areas, wanted to be associated with the little life-saving station, and they began to give it their time, and their money, their resources, even their efforts to support its work. New boats were bought, and new crews were trained. The little life station. Uh, the little saving life-saving saving station began to really grow and flourish. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that there should be a more comfortable place that should be provided for the first refuge of those who were being saved from the seas. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture, and uh, they enlarged the building. Now the life-saving station became popular uh, it was even a gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully, and they furnished it as if it was a sort of a club. Less the members were now interested in going into the, onto the sea and to do life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do all the work. And the mission of the life-saving station was still given lip service, but most of the people were too busy or they lacked necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, there was a large ship that was wrecked off the coast, and they hired crews. The hired crews brought in boatloads of of people. They were cold, they were wet, they were half drowned people. Amongst them, there were lots of dirty uh, and sick people. Some of them had black skin, and some of them spoke strange languages. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside of the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they ever came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities. Uh, they were unpleasant. They were a hindrance. Obviously, cost too much money, and that became the normal life and the pattern of the club. But there were a handful of members that had insisted that the life-saving station was their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were actually still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down, and they were told that they wanted to save lives, and they wanted to be a part of messiness and the various kinds of people that were shipwrecked in those waters that they could go down the road and they could begin their own life-saving station. And so they did. And then the years went by and the new station experienced the same changes that had ultimately occurred in the old. They evolved into a new club, yet another life-saving station was eventually founded. Now if you were to visit that same seacoast today, you would find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore, and shipwrecks are still frequent in the waters. But now most of the people drown. I don't know about you, but that kind of sums up the church perfectly. Which is an incredible tragedy when we begin to read God's word and we begin to understand what the church was really ultimately about. I mean, Jesus said it himself. He says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve to give my life to ransom for many. Luke chapter ten, he says that I came to seek and save that which was lost, which is mankind. That uh, out in distant shores, in in the seas of sin and 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 uh, weariness, uh, people are drowning in despair. And the church is to be a beacon of light and hope. We are to be a picture of the example of Christ's likeness to other people. We are to be a people that are on mission, uh, not uh, membership for the sake of our own interest or uh, buildings that we can ultimately uh, buy new furnishings or enlarge for the sake of calling it a club. But unfortunately, I think we, we spend lots of money in American churches on our members and ultimately taking care of our fellowships while outside of our doors, there are lots of people that are drowning in sin and in darkness and they need light and hope. And the question is, is why am I bringing this up? It's because eight years ago, we believed, we wholeheartedly believed that we could be a beacon of hope and light in a county called Van Zandt County. Um, one of the questions that oftentimes was posed to me, and not not very often to my face, but many times behind my back, would be, why do we need another church? I mean, after all, don't we have enough churches in Van Zandt County? And the answer is, absolutely, we have plenty of churches. But by and large, if we're not careful, a lot of our churches become very inwardly focused. And we forget that there's a county full of people who need the hope of Jesus. And so when we began, we didn't believe that we had all the answers. We didn't believe that we had the right methods or ultimately the right ministries. But what we did believe was that there were a bunch of people in our county who were unchurched, who were dechurched, that needed the hope of Jesus. And one of the things that we said from the very beginning that we were going to fight for is that we were going to continue to always be a life-saving station. That at the end of the day, that even as people came from other churches and and wanted to ultimately, in some ways, put their preferences on us, we were always going to fight to be a church for people who didn't go to church. And so we uh, adopted a, a slogan uh, that was called "No Perfect People Allowed," and what that simply meant was is that we are all broken, we're all messy, we're all drowning in our own sin and ultimately a, a sea of despair without Jesus, and we need Him. That apart from him, uh, as the Apostle Paul would write in Romans chapter 7, we know there's nothing good about us. And so we said, we're going to fight for that. And as we began to fight for those things, here's a handful of things that we said were going to be really important. One of them is that we believe that we, we needed, a, in a sense, a second reformation. The first reformation uh, was getting the word of God back to the people. That was in the uh, you know, fi- uh, 15, 16, 1700s. You had guys like Martin Luther, and you had John Calvin and uh, you had so many others that were fighting for a reformation to get the word of God. Now we say we, we believe that we also should have another reformation, which the work of God is back to the people. That The, the church is about the priesthood of believers. That it's not about ordained clergy, so, so to say, but it's about people, the people of God being on mission. And so one of the things that we said a couple of weeks ago is that from the very beginning, that every dollar we have goes to the mission. Uh, that we don't just supply missions so we can pray for missionaries across uh, or abroad so we can pay them to do the ministry. We say, hey, we're going to support missions all across the world. And so we have some strategic partners, but one of the things we said is we believe that the church is most on mission when we go on Monday to our workplace and we begin to live out the gospel in our own context. We believe that teachers who teach for the sake of the cause of Christ do a greater importance to our county maybe than anyone else. Uh, we believe that as you go in um, to work tomorrow, as you prepare in a cold, dreary day to go outside and potentially work in a labor-task-oriented workplace, that you could grumble or complain or you could say, this is the day the Lord has made, and we're going to choose to rejoice and be glad in it. And we could be a beacon of hope or light wherever. We basically said that our members here are the mission, that our mission is to go out into treacherous waters, even when they're not not pleasant, when they're dark, when they're gloomy, because just beyond the darkness, there is a soul, a person created in the image of God that needs hope. And ultimately, in their despair, they need to know the comfort and the love that Jesus can provide. And we believe that our pastors aren't the ones that are only ones walking into darkness, but that... We are equipping our members to do that, which brought up a great question we addressed last week. Well, what are members anyway? And ultimately here at Stone Point, what we just say is this is members are just people who have identified themselves as a person who wants a shepherd. That's it. That's the only difference. At the end of the day, membership here doesn't have a ton of perks. What we have committed to is this, is that we have committed to love one another to forgive one another, to care for one another, to admonish one another, to bear one another's burdens, to um, respect one another, to care for one another, all the things that you would find in the New Testament, the one another's of Scripture. We've committed to that. But beyond that, what we've said is is that we want a shepherd. And if you are a member here, that's all you've said. You just said, hey, I want someone to ultimately care for me and to be accountable for me. We said that, hey, membership here just means ownership, that we all bear the responsibility of the church, and we all are part of a life-saving station, a mission. At the end of the day, it's not about chairs. It's not about our own comfort. It's not about the things that we oftentimes make it about, but it's about us being something that's different in the world. It's called the church. The question is, is why are we doing this series? Eight years in, and here's why, because I think every couple of years we have to do this to remind us of where we're coming from. So one of the reasons that our church membership goes back to zero every couple of years is just so that we can purposefully come back to the table and say, "Hey, guys, y'all remember why we signed up for this? Hey, you rem- you rem- you remember why we all said we want to be a part of this? Hey, do you still believe in that? Hey, do you still want to do that together?" Hey, if you want to do that together to with me, hey, let's sign up again. Let's be a part of that. That's called a 4C assessment. If you're a member here, you should have got that. Take some time over the next couple of weeks. Pray about it. Encourage God uh, to use that to spur you on towards loving good deeds and, and fill that out. So uh, right now, our membership, we're tracking just over a, a little bit over a hundred people, I think. Uh, so I know what our membership is right now. So if you're if you're here and you hadn't done it, you're not a member, so hey, get on it, okay? Uh, <laughs> But the reason we do that is just to remind ourselves. And not only to remind ourselves, but I think to caution ourselves against something that happens in so many churches that we've been a part of. And at the end of the day, it's discord. It's gossip, it's factions, it's quarrels, it's selfishness. And today, I want to begin to wrap up this series uh, over a topic and The scripture we're going to look at is found in the Old Testament, Psalm 133. Uh, Hey, if you have your Bible, then you can do an old trick I learned when I was a kid, and you just open up halfway and you'll be in Psalm, then you can go to Psalm 133. If you don't get in in a halfway point of your Bible, then then that's your fault, but that's where it is, okay? Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we want to bless you with one. If you have your phone, then you can join us there. Psalm 133. Um, is the next to last Song of Ascent. Uh, the Song of ascents were 15 psalms that, um, that, that the people of Jerusalem would sing together. And here's what they would do, is they would ascend to Jerusalem for uh, some festivities and feasts. And as they would ascend, a lot of people would say, well, they would sing these songs. I think that you could make evidence that they would sing them while they were there, enjoying festivities and the feast together. Here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture... A couple of million Jews that know their lineage gathered together in the heart of Jerusalem. Uh, I want you to think about a guy like David who would have seen this in his day. And as he, he watches over the, the masses of crowds, as they sing in harmony together, glorifying God, enjoying fellowship with one another, there's this picture of unity that maybe you've never seen in your life. It, what I think it is is the greatest family reunion you've ever seen, and here's why: because if you're a Jew, even though you may not have a direct association with one another, you didn't know each other because you're different, lived in different places, you ascended to Jerusalem. Here's what you do know: you have ultimately the same uh, grandma, grandpa. So that we know that all Jews ultimately come from Abraham. Uh, They all come from Sarah. They know where their lineage is, so when they gather, they really do have a family reunion. When we gather with our family, we look around, we're like, I don't have a clue where you came from, but we're going to let you in anyway. The Jews, they're all together. They know where they come from. They know their lineage, and as they're together, they sing songs together. These psalms, they, they sing, they praise God, they enjoy the favor of the people, they fellowship, they they eat together. They enjoy uh, the blessings of, of God's bounty together. All of this time is this incredibly special time for them. And it's as if David watches over it, and then he pins this psalm. And then if you can imagine, as they would all leave and go home, what a sad day that might be, because they've joined together under similar purposes, and they are honoring the Lord. And this thing that was so special is now in a sense, leaving. It's it's as if they're breaking this thing up to go back to their homes. And it's, in a sense, a sad day for those that have watched this play out. So in Psalm 133, with that context in mind, this is what is written. And it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When you think about that, you think about unity, you think about, no discord. You think about harmony and fellowship. You think about laughter. You think about the noise of people gathering, and you know that it's good and it's pleasant. What's interesting is that good things are not always pleasant, right? And pleasant things aren't always good. But what here is, is you have things that are good and pleasant, as if they're working in perfect harmony together, regardless of how you get there, you you know that this is a special time in in the history of the people. And this is if you look around and you just know, wow, there's something special here. I wish this moment would last forever. There's this bliss that's a, a part of it. And the question is, is what promotes that? Ultimately, what is it that brings this about? And here's what you know you you know that brings what brings this incredible unity, what makes it good and pleasant is that people seem to be aligned together. It's like they know their purpose they know why they're there they they understand what their 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 goal is in being there it, it seems to be in a sense too good to be true and it's as if david this this king of Israel watches all of this and he goes, "Wow, this is an incredible moment. It's one of the things that we When we first began, we said we want to capture something like this. We want to be a church where there's unity. But even more than that, we want to to hear the sights and the sounds and the smells of unity. Matter of fact, one of the things that makes Sunday one of my favorite days of the week is that I can come and I can drink a cup of coffee. I can enjoy a handful of donuts. And then I can see conversations that take place. I watch people as they greet and they hug one another. I just got on to one of our first impressions teams earlier because they had too much unity and they skipped somebody as they walked past them. What a problem, what right? What a challenge to have. Hey man, you gonna pay any attention to that person? And they were just encapsulated in this moment. And it was just a moment of unity. It was just a moment of hugging one another and reminding each other about how they feel about one another. And it's just a beautiful picture. And that's one of the incredible things that happens around here every weekend. It's just conversation. I love to hear the chattering, the clamoring. I love to see a kid scurry by. I love that even in the midst of me having a conversation, in which some of you would deem is really important, I have little kids that just come and just latch onto my leg because they hadn't seen me. They come and they high-five me. Why? Because there's something special, and they know it too. They know it's a safe place. It's in a sense that it's a harbor, a refuge, in which they can just come, and, and in their innocence, they... They can talk to and enjoy anyone. They have as much right to anyone and anything as anyone else here. That they, they can take their little germophobic little hands and so they can grab whatever they want, right? <laughs> and what's incredible is in this is that, that, that no one's going to slap their hands except for some of you mamas in here. They're watching their little calories, right? And they enjoy the favor and the blessing, and it's what makes it special—that in the day that you can bring a cup of coffee into this place, and that if you spill it on our floor, it's no big deal. That there's no, gonna, there's not going to be anyone that's going to get onto you because uh, you you track too much mud in, or vice versa. At the end of the day, there just seems to be something special. And here's the deal. As you're having these conversations, I think I just want to remind you that in those good things, the good and pleasant things, if you're not careful, there can be a couple of things that come of those that don't honor the Lord. And so as we're having unity and we're dwelling together and we're having these good and these pleasant things, as we have uh, members of our hospitality team, the first impression, they're scurrying around and they're, they're getting coffee for every one of us to enjoy and they're making sure that our donuts don't go empty. If we're not careful, we'll miss a couple of things. One of the things that we'll miss is the opportunity to meet someone new. We'll miss an opportunity that in our, our time together that our eyes aren't up on someone that doesn't understand what it is that you and I enjoy. And the reason why is because they they walk into this place and and at first glance you think, well, this place is kind of small. And then you get in here and you're like, oh my goodness, I wasn't expecting this. All these people, where do I go? There's fear there. And what would it look like if just in in, in our moment together, we just pause and, and you go, hey, let's help them. I mean, at the end of the day, are we here for ourselves or are we here for other people as well? And so just reminding ourselves of that on both campuses that regardless of where we are, or at the end of the day, where we gather for this thing called church, that there's always other people here that want what you and I seem to enjoy. The second thing that I would warn you again, so as we gather, if you're not careful, you're gathering the good and pleasant conversations can turn to things that aren't good and pleasant. And ultimately, you can begin to use that opportunity to bring contention and striving among the body. And it's not uncommon that if, we, if we're not careful, we'll get together and, and we'll murmur or we'll complain about something. It could be a slight little change or it could be something that in a sense challenges what we do or what we have done or hey, this is my spot or hey, I do that. What are you doing in the way? All of that if we're not careful, causes contention. And the reason that you have to be careful about that at some point is because at the end of the day, the good and pleasant things as people dwell on unity can become, in a sense, a place where unity is no longer dwelling. And the reason it's not dwelling there is because we begin to murmur or complain or to bring striving or gossip or contention. And here's what I want you to know, and listen, I, I say this, and I say it with I say it with a a saddened heart. Every church split began with a murmur. Every church split began with a slight complaint, and then one day it got traction because there was someone who gave it ears. And when they gave it ears, they also gave it an accommodation and said, you know what, you're right, I noticed that too. And instead of dealing with the, the challenge as if, you're a part of the problem, the solution, you just create problems. We create problems. And so one of the things that we've always said we're gonna live by, hey, we're gonna only get, we're gonna address things and if you're a part of the problem or the solution, then we're gonna get in it. And so if you don't wanna be a part of the problem, then don't give ears to it. And how often, if you're not careful, in a place where there's meant to be harmony and unity, do you give ears to something that ultimately gives traction in the body that doesn't honor and please the Lord. And now the bliss, the encouragement, the harmony that was once beautiful as people dwelt in unity can now become striving. Now, I think all of you understand what I'm talking about. If you're not careful, we can take something that's so beautiful and we can turn it into something that's corrupt. And the thing that you need to know though is this, is that murmuring and complaining, ultimately striving is never from the Lord, Ever. Matter of fact, you'll see this time and time again. I just want to give you a handful of Proverbs. This is where wisdom comes from a lot of times in the Bible. uh, Proverbs 10, 12, look at this. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers up all offense. Hatred stirs up strife. So one of the things that we'll oftentimes say um, in our family is, hey, you're stirring me. And what that means is, is a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's a proverb. And so what we're saying is, is hey, if you're ever gentle with me and you love me well, you don't stir my anger. What stirs my anger? Quarrels, factions, selfishness, James 4. I mean, at the end of the day, what causes striving? What stirs the pot? What ultimately brings our anger to a boil? Striving, right? Contentiousness. All of those things are what bring it. So if you want to stir that or, or use that in your family, uh. Hey, you're stirring my anger. Then your family ought to know what's happening. You are, you are stirring the pot. You are bringing about discord and strife. It's not helpful. Proverbs thirteen ten says, "By insolence comes along nothing but strife." But with those who take advice, is wisdom. Proverbs fifteen verse eighteen. Look at this: A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Whisperer, going around from conversation to conversation. Hey, did you hear this? Did you know this? Oh, can you believe that happened? Oh, did you know they did this? And what I want you to realize is this, is that this type of thing, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred. Proverbs 13, 10, insolence. Proverbs 15, 18, hot-tempered. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight dishonesty in a whisper those things are not from God. Ever in any context in any place the slandering of another person or discord among the brethren is never a thing that Jesus promotes. Now what I am not saying is that you shouldn't have conversations and that you shouldn't admonish one another and that you shouldn't uh, have have face-to-face conversation that you shouldn't go to your brother. You should obviously do that. But the problem is, is that when we don't do that, we begin to clamor and murmur and we get in little pockets of conversation. And so one of the things that I hope we are known for in this fellowship is that when we see a problem or we're a part of the problem or we get roped into a problem that we just go, you know what? You just said this to me, and so, hey, let's just address it. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and this is how I'll oftentimes say it to our team and our staff. Somebody may say something to me, or I may say something to somebody else, and I'll go, hey, listen, you need to go and talk to them. Like, that's going to be helpful. And it's not uncommon that maybe we'd say, hey, listen, you got 24 hours, 48 hours. How much do you need before I go and do it for you? It's not uncommon that I'll hear something in one of our ministries, and they will finally get to me, and when it finally gets to me, I'll go, hey, why didn't y'all handle this? If you don't want to handle it, I'll go handle it. You let me know. I'm willing to jump in right now if you want because this is not going to be helpful for our body. At the end of the day, why? It's because it stirs up things. It's it's not helpful to us, right? It's unity. You know why unity is a blessing? It's because everybody is working together. It's not that, that unity means that it's total bliss and there's no problems or challenges. That's not what it is. It just says that when there are challenges, when there are problems, we're just going to deal with them. We're going to finally just move through it. And I'll tell you, can you easily get to a place within the body that you murmur, complain, and you don't dwell in unity? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes, it's very dangerous. Why? It's because unity is a display of who God is. Look at verse 2, and I think this will bring it home for you. Verse 2 says, It is like precious oil on the head. What is? Unity. So unity is like precious oil on the head, running down onto the beard, and the beard of Aaron running down in the collar of his robes. What this is is just a reminder to the Jewish people of what unity looks like. And if, if if you look at this imagery at first, you kind of miss it, but it's an incredible picture of what God has done for the people. And if you look at Aaron here, Aaron's going to be a, a priest in Israel, and what you would have is is the priesthood of Israel. Um, is he would be honored, he would be blessed by God. And ultimately, he would be anointed by God. And so what God did is he goes, look, beyond the Jewish custom of just greeting each other and and blessing one another with oil when you come to the house, I'm going to have another oil, and it's not going to be reserved for your perfumes or for your use in the house. It's going to be used just for the priesthood. And so in in Exodus chapter 30, you're going to see this outline. If you want to read Exodus chapter 30 on your time, I'd encourage you to do that. It'd be a blessing to you. But what God does is he goes, look, I'm going to raise up a priesthood. A priesthood is going to care for the temple. They're going to care for the people of God. They're going to be the people that are anointed. And then God says, "And, and here are the ingredients, the recipe for the oil that's going to be used for them. And this oil is going to contain different things. Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 25, you see it. Um, It's the finest spices. It's going to be liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. There's sweet-smelling cinnamon. Um, There's aromatic cane. There's a multitude of things. And what it is is these ingredients. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take this, and over the priesthood, it's a symbol of anointing. You're gonna pour it over his head and it's going to come with such abundance it's gonna flow off into the beard of Aaron. If you can just see the imagery. And then from there, it's gonna fall even onto his robes and his garments. The idea is it's the anointing of God to the people of Israel that you have a priesthood. And this priesthood is the line between God and man. The ordinary, the unnamed, the peasant, so to say, now can get to God through the priesthood. Now fast forward. Because we are the ecclesia, the church, the people of God called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ, because Jesus laid down his life, shed his blood on the cross for us, anyone who calls upon him not only gets salvation, but ultimately now is not just out of darkness into light, but has now become a holy chosen race, a people of God and a royal priesthood. The idea here is that the blessings of God flow down onto the people. Now think about this, ladies. I know that you uh, probably don't want us to know about your beard, but the, the, the blessings of God flow down from your hair onto the beard all the way. The idea is the spirit of God, when it takes over a person in our life, there's evidence to be shown. Jesus says it this way you will know, people will know that you are my disciple by the way that you love one another. And the question is, what does he mean by that? Does it mean that, hey, we just, oh, we just love everybody, and hey, it's just, the church just becomes all loving, and we just accept everything, all theologies, all lifestyles, all morality issues? And the answer is no. What he is saying is, he goes, people ought to know there's something different about you. And when you look at this verse, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, it's the precious oil on the priesthood's head. It flows down into the beard and to the beard of Aaron, running down to the collar of its robes. The idea here is that unity communicates something, it communicates to a dark and dying world that there is hope. And the reason there's hope is because if you look at that little life saving station, they're unified they're different. They're diverse. I mean, there's so different, different types of people. And I mean, there's different colors of people and different shapes and sizes of people. But they all seem to promote something. They all seem to be unified over certain things. And it seems to be good and pleasant. It seems to be a blessing. And so when the people of God display the love of God to a dark world, it's evidence of the blessing of God on the priesthood of believers. Guys, think about this for just a second. Is it ever a blessing to the kingdom of God that a handful of people get mad and go start something new? I mean, is it ever a blessing of God when people murmur or complain or even give ear to that? Is that ever a blessing to God? Think about that for just a second. And moreover, if it's not a blessing to God, do you ever think about what that communicates when we don't just go to the people that we have a challenge with? And also when we go to everybody but them, do you know what that communicates? Here's what it communicates. Listen carefully. It communicates that you are not one with God the way you think you are. Holiness, holiness never, ever, holiness never, ever brings strife, contention, and hot-tempered actions among the body. It never, does. Listen, when you fire off that email to somebody and you haven't prayed about it first, but hey, let me, I'm going to give them a little piece about what I see. Listen, did you pray about that first? I mean, did you, did you think about that? Did you ask the Lord, hey, what's this going to do to the body? Hey, hey, what other parts are going to be affected here? Did you ever think about that? I mean, before you hit the send button on Facebook, you let the whole world know what's going on in your life. Did you ever think about that? Hey, Hey, what's that look like? Am I striving? Is it contentious? Ever thought about that? I mean, at the end of the day, listen, we have one hope to the world. And the hope is, is that Jesus changed our life. And you think about the church just by and large, is it really evidence in our culture of any change? Do you know why we fight for what we fight for here? I mean, do you know why things that here are really important to us? The reason that we seem to major on some of these things is because they really are important. I mean, at the end of the day, it's precious oil flowing down. It's an abundance of what other people see. Unity's not contrived. It's not made up. It's not phony. It's not false. It's intentional. It's purposeful, and it's a representation of the gospel to other people. Listen, unity is a picture of the Trinity, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working in unison as one. They're diverse in what they want to accomplish, but they're unified. There is order, meaning that the Son is not greater than the Father and the Spirit is not less than the Son. They're all working in harmony, in unity, promoting the greater good of God. Our marriage is the same. A man and a woman, totally different, way diverse. But with equality, neither part greater than the other, both glorified in the image of God, Psalm 139, both precious in the sight of God. Different roles, different distinctions, but yet unified in order and equality, all representing a unity of God. That's our marriage. And it's the same as the church. All a picture of the Trinity and the marriage of people. See, what we do as a church really does matter. Why? Because it's like the dew, verse 3. Look at that. The dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. It's like the dew of Hermon. Hermon is a mountain up to the north. And uh, this mountain is a big mountain in the north, and it would be a blessing to the mountains of the south. Now, look at the mountains of the south. They're unnamed. You don't even know. What you do know is that the dew of Hermon seems to be a blessing to the mountains of the south. Why? It's because it's like the oil that overflows. It's like the dew that, that ultimately resonates, and even the mountains around it get its blessing. That's the same with the church. The Lord is Command the blessing, life forevermore. So the dew is refreshing, it's rejuvenating, it's majestic. When you see it out on the plains, it glitters, it resonates light. You see the sparkles. It's it's in, it's captivating. And then it brings what water for refreshment, and even on a dry and climatic season, that that dew seems to bring just enough refreshment and just enough moisture to allow growth. That's the idea. Guys, that's what's incredible about the unity of the church. That's what's incredible about 1 Corinthians 12, though the, the body is a member of, of different parts, that, that, that the hand can't say to the eye that I have no need, no need of you. Vice versa, that we're all working together in harmony. Let me just read to you the last part of 1 Corinthians 12, which is going to be verse 25 and 26. The reason the parts work together is that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. At the end of the day, what's so special about the church is that God brings so many different types of people together, all promoting unity, different parts, different characteristics, different colors. All for one purpose, to bear one another's burdens, to care for one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to put preference for one another in front of each other. Why? Because it's promoting God and the kingdom in such a way that even the mountains of Zion, even the people that aren't a part of this, would see the dew that falls on this place called Stone Point Church and it would resonate. And it would, it would flow downhill to places of Van Zandt County that aren't reached yet. And that would people would see, wow, there's something different about them people. There's something different, the way that they are good and pleasant and they dwell in unity. There's something pleasant about them as we see that the priesthood of believers. It seems as if there's an overflowing presence of God's grace and mercy. I want a part of that. Guys, that's what the church is. And I pray that you would know how important it is for us not to become a life-saving station that creates another one out of our preference, but that we would fight for unity, that we would, we would desire that because it promotes the kingdom of God, not just here, but abroad. Man, you know how many less churches we'd have in Vanzant County if we got this concept? Can I tell you that I think if we would have gotten this concept here 30 years ago, I'm pretty sure there would have been no need for Stone Point Church today. And that ought to bring sadness to our hearts. Because we're not better than, we're just a bunch of people. Matter of fact, none of us perfect. On a mission for people who don't know Jesus. And I pray that we would know that that's still the mission today. And it hasn't changed. And it won't change. Because at the end of the day, people need God's grace, and we need to be the grace bearers. And I pray that we'll, we'll make that evident in our lives. Now, real quick, next week we're going to close the series. I want to make you a pastor promise. It's going to be worth you being here. Uh, matter of fact, I'm begging, almost imploring you to be here. I get it's, it's spring break weekend, and I, I know that it's likely to be 90 degrees in sunshine probably not it's probably the time you're going to plant your garden it's probably the time where you're going to enjoy the first weekend of sunshine together it's probably the time that you're going to go you know what it's going to be foolish but let's dip this boat in that lake let's try it i'm asking would you please spend an hour with us next weekend that if you're not out of town would you make it an effort to be here next next weekend we're going to close this series church Reimagine. and here's what we're going to do we're going to pray together and we're going to sing together We're going to pray together and we're going to sing together. We're going to pray together and sing together. And we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper together. And the only purpose of next week is that God would unify us as this body for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. Where all the places we've missed it, all the things we haven't done right, that we would say, God, would you help us to do better? Would you help us just to be mindful of what you're calling us to do? And on both campuses, we're just going to come together under the banner of God's grace and his mercy. And we're just going to ask him to bless this place. Not because we're worthy of a blessing, but because he loves to give blessing to people who are unified under his grace. And so I pray that if you're here and you're like, man, we ever do the Lord's supper around here? Hey, don't miss, because you've got no opportunity to grumble two weeks from now, right? We just want to come together. We want to celebrate what the Lord has done and what he's going to do. And I pray that you'll be here if you can. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, thank you for your spirit, which brings refreshing to our soul. Thank you, Lord, for the dew of Hermon that refreshes people around us, that at the end of the day, Lord, you are the blessing that gives eternal life. And Lord, we know that it is your grace that produces love in us. And we know that it's our obedience to you that produces unity. That at the end of the day, when we are striving or we're hateful or we're hot-tempered or we're insolent or we're dishonest, that at the end of the day, if we're stirring people, we don't bless you and we don't bless the kingdom. And ultimately, people outside of this context, they don't get a blessing. All they do is get hurt and shrapnel in their lives and and it, it doesn't seem good and pleasant. God, I pray that as we enjoy the favor of your blessing in our lives, as we enjoy coffee and donuts, as we leave this place, as we welcome people, as we introduce ourselves, I pray we would look around and we would say, wow, this is good and pleasant. And it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like when people dwell in unity. God, help us, help us, help us to desire that here. We love you and we give you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.